Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Our text is found in Leviticus 17, verse 11. Leviticus 17 and 11, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. There's just a few things I want to lift out of this verse, and then we'll move on and get into the message. Life, life is contained in the blood, the life of the flesh, the life that allows our bodies to function and to move and to live and, and breathe is in the blood. But then there's another dimension of the blood. It makes atonement for the soul. The soul is the essence of our being. In the day that God took some clay from the earth and formed Adam, the Bible says that he breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living soul. Some translations say a living being. The essence of, of our being is our soul, our emotions, our intellect, and our will. So what God is communicating to us through his servant Moses is the blood is where your life, your flesh, your mortal life is. But the blood also touches your soul. It was put on the altar for atonement for your soul. And so we're going to touch on these two areas as we explore the blood. Let's start with the flesh. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Can you put up this, the picture of the circulatory system? You're not going to be able to see this well, but I'll talk you through it. What you see will be enough for you to discern what the Spirit is saying and the usefulness of this anatomical silhouette of the circulatory system. The circulatory system is three parts. It consists of three independent parts. The first is the cardiovascular system, the heart. That's the muscle, pumps all the blood. Every day that you draw breath, it's working. It's a muscle, and it's constantly pumping blood and purifying it and sending it throughout your body. The second are the lungs, which is pulmonary. You have the cardiovascular and the pulmonary. It's arteries and veins and portal vessels. And then the final is systemic. If you look at this diagram, you see red blood in every part of the system, of the body. 
the old saints used to say that the blood is still running warm in my veins. It's, it goes from your head, the top of your head, you see the brain has vasculature and vessels to your fingertips, to your toes. All parts of the flesh, the human body, is held together by blood that's circulated. Somebody say, the blood holds me together. In the average human body, if you were to take the volume of blood in the vessels, it extends 60,000 miles. 60,000 miles, the average human. That's a lot of blood. That is a lot of blood. So the blood is essential to life in the natural. And it's interesting that the system is made up of three parts because we are in the image of God. If you literally looked just at the outer layer of the body, the skin, which is what we refer to as the flesh, it also has three layers, the dermis, the epidermis, and subcutaneous tissue. What you see here is my body, but I have a spirit. The body without the spirit is dead. The body needs blood. And then I have a soul, the essence of my being. We are made in the image of God. Image of God. So we want to explore the other part. When we were created, God made us in his image and in his likeness. The image of God we see born out in our circulatory system, and even in our outer parts, our flesh, our skin. But here's a question. Why did Jesus come? Why was it necessary for Jesus to come? And there's lots of reasons, and I know you can start to chat, type some of them in the chat. But for the purpose of this message, I'm going to give you six. And I stopped at six because six is the number of man. And because of the first man, all of humanity has fallen. The first man and the first woman cause us to fall. And that's an important part of the story. So I know some of you are already typing. Why, why was it necessary for Jesus to come? Here are a few. Number one, to redeem us from the hand of the enemy. To redeem us from the hand of the enemy. You'll find all these in scripture. Number two, to reconcile the world unto God. For we know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Number three, to destroy the works of the devil. In Hebrews, we're told that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 
I don't know about you, but in my life, I want him to destroy it. In my family, my children, my grand, destroy his works. Utterly destroy his works. Number four, and all that's in the blood. Number four, to seek and to save the lost. Number five, to give himself a ransom for our sins. To give himself. That's something that's different. Jesus is different. He is different. We'll see how Moses did it when we come to atonement on the altar, and then we'll see how Jesus did it. Moses was faithful over all of God's house, but Jesus was the son, a son of the house, and a son gives more. Number six, to restore humanity so that we can have the likeness of God. I, I talked about the image of God, which is evident in our makeup, but the likeness of God was forfeited, was given away, was taken. When Adam was created, he had perfect communion with God. When Eve came from his rib, there was only good. There was no evil. But the tempter came in the form of a serpent and introduced something alongside good, evil. And he made it good, look good. He put it in a good package. That's how he presents evil. He doesn't present evil as darkness or bad. He presents it as something to be desired. And so many are taken by that same trick, that same tactic. And in a world when there was only good and there was only God and they had perfect relationship, they chose the knowledge of good and evil. And that act of disobedience allowed evil to enter into the world and everyone who's born of a woman inherited their mistake. Jesus is the express image of God. So he came to show us how to be like him. David said this prophetically in Psalm 51, restore the joy of my salvation. All of that is in the blood. Restore. God, I need you to restore that which was lost. David recognized his offense, and he said, God, restore me. Restore the joy. I know that I'm no longer intimate with you because my joy has left. He said, I need you to restore my joy because your joy is my strength. I'm weak. I made that mistake. I fell, but God, I need restoration. Somebody ought to say to God, restore the joy of my salvation because if you have salvation, you ought to have joy. You ought to have joy because he restored something that was lost to all generations, was lost forever because we gave in to the tempter. So let me hone in a little bit on likeness, the likeness of God. The image stayed. Adam and Eve were still image bearers of God. We, are, we bear the image of God, 
but what was gone was his likeness. And in our world today, we need more people to be like him. Because when we're like him, goodness is in the earth. When we give in to the schemes and the plots and the plans of the enemy, he introduces the same thing that he introduced to Eve and to Adam, evil. So let's look at Isaiah 14 and 14 quickly as we build this thing. And we'll see what the enemy was offering them and his motive behind it. For those of you who watched the watch night service, I talked about discerning the times. And I believe God wants us to be more discerning so that we're not taken with these tricks. We're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. Isaiah 14 and 14 says, and this is the prophet Isaiah talking about Lucifer, the son of the morning. If you begin this text, reading at verse 12, you'll see that, but we're only going to focus on this one. Lucifer, the son of the morning, said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I will be like the Most High. He wanted to take something that wasn't available to him. I want to be like God. I'm not satisfied being the son of the morning. I'm not satisfied leading the heavenly host in worship and in praise. I want to be worshiped, and I want to be praised. Pride was found in him, and he wanted to be like God. Isn't it interesting that when he went to Eve, and said, has God said in the day that you eat this, you will not surely die? He said, no, God knows that when you eat it, you will be like him. You will be like God to know good and evil. See, this thing was about likeness. This was about likeness. The devil wanted to be like God, and Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven. We were in a place with God on earth where we had perfect access to heaven. We wouldn't have to wonder what heaven was like because heaven was present on earth because God was so near to them that they could hear him walking in the cool of the day. What must it have been like to hear the footsteps of God? I'm talking about a God that the prophet Nahum said, the clouds are the dust of his feet. I'm talking about a God who is so pure. If you've ever been up in an airplane and seen the cloud, the clouds are the dust of his feet. So you know he walks softly. But they heard his footsteps even when they were hiding their ability to hear did not leave them. I, God knows, you will be like him. Now let's start to get deeper into the blood, to the blood. 
after they made that deadly mistake and they listened to the voice of the serpent and disobeyed the voice of God, God went to work. And I want you to know he's working in your life and in my life. And even when we do stuff that we ought not to do, he goes to work because the blood does something. I'm going to bring out a couple of attributes of the blood. The first one we'll find in Genesis, the third chapter, verse 21. Genesis 3 and 21. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. There's a lot in this verse, but there's something I want you to see. When they were together before sin, they were naked and they didn't even know it. There was so much purity. There was no such thing as lust. There was no such thing as shame. None of those things existed because they were dwelling in a land of goodness. There was nothing but goodness because it was only them and God, and God is good. God is good. Somebody say, God is good. Adam and his wife, the Lord took them and made tunics of skin and clothed them. The first thing I want you to know, the concept of clothing didn't exist. They were, they were there for centuries together and never thought that they were unclothed because there was no evil. Now they recognize it and they become ashamed. They get some fig leaves and try to cover up their private parts. One of the first questions God asked them, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Now God knew the answer, but he wanted confession, repentance. But what God did is what the blood does. He covered them. Clothing is a type of covering. I know you feel exposed, but I'm going to cover you. Some of you feel exposed. I want you to know God comes to cover. But I see something else in this text. Tunics, which is an outer garment of skin. That means God sacrificed an animal. The first sacrifice is in Genesis 3 and 21. And that blood, see the blood covers. That's the first thing I want you to know is the blood covers. When you're feeling exposed, when you're feeling ashamed, when you know you've done what you should not have done, the blood covers. Somebody say the blood covers. He covered them right away. After he told them, what was going to happen, according to his word, he went to work. He got some blood, and he covered them. This was a sign of things to come. And as I was preparing this message, God said, where do you think Abraham understood how to make sacrifices? Even though he was in Mesopotamia among heathens, the concept of sacrifice was not lost on them. Because in, though in the beginning, 
the way information was communicated, and you know before Babel, everybody spoke one language before God had to confuse the languages. So it was all word of mouth. And so the story of Adam and Eve was known, and, and Abraham wasn't many generations removed, so he understood blood sacrifice. Somebody say the blood covers, but this is the first blood sacrifice, but it was a sign of things to come because in the same chapter of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 15, God tells the serpent as he's pronouncing judgment that there's going to be one who's going to bruise your head and you're going to bruise his heel. And then six verses later in 21, we see this covering, this covering. Now, when the enemy, verse 22, says something that will allow us to see something a little more deeper, because there are things in the text that God wants to reveal to us, but we just need eyes to see. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, like one of us. The Godhead is having a conversation to know good and evil. See, God has al always known evil. He just, evil is just not in him because he knows everything from the beginning. He knew that this was coming. It didn't catch him off guard. It didn't, this is not a plan B. God only has plan A because he controls everything. He's, he went to work and covered them right away because he knew they would fall. That is the two-edged sword of free will. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. God took, put him out of the garden, had an angel with a flaming sword, to protect Eden. And so I, I love Donald Lawrence's song, Let's Get Back to Eden and Live on Top of the World. But Eden got us in this mess. This happened in Eden. God is saying to this generation, you need to go to Gethsemane. That's where you learn. In Eden, they gave up their will. They didn't do my will. They did their own thing. And Gethsemane, my son, who, will, who said, Father, everything is possible with you. If it is possible, and he already said everything is possible, if it is possible, take away this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Gethsemane is where our will is submitted to the will of the Father. I want to be in, in Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is where the blood, the blood, the blood of the Redeemer dropped in the ground at Gethsemane. I like the beat, let's get back to Eden, live on top of the world. But I'm telling you, God is calling a people into Gethsemane. That's the place where the oil is crushed. That's where the oil flows. That's where the blood drops from the head of the precious Savior. Isaiah the prophet, we're going to learn from Isaiah a little bit. Isaiah 
has an encounter with God in the sixth chapter. And he said, in the day that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. First, he saw something. But in that same chapter, when you get to verse 8, he heard something. Now, I want you to remember what we just read in Genesis. He said, also I heard the voice of the Lord. I saw him high and lifted up, but also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Whom shall I, singular, and who will go for us, plural? Isaiah now, I want you to understand, this is a man of unclean lips. This is a man who confessed, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. There's somebody listening right now. You know you have unclean lips, and you dwell among a people of unclean lips. I want you to know that you can hear the voice of God. You can see God, and God can use you. He took from the altar had an angel take from the altar and touch the mouth of this prophet. And now this prophet can hear the Godhead. God touch somebody's mouth right now. Take fire from the altar. Set their tongue on fire. Let the words that proceed out of their mouth be the word of God. From this moment forth, God, I pray prophetically for those who, like Isaiah, confess that they are a people of unclean lips. They dwell among people of unclean lips. This same man you used to tell us something. God, you can use, if you used Isaiah, you can use me. You can use us. You can use any of us. And he listened to this conversation, and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I. Send me. The same conversation was happening in the beginning in Genesis. They will be like one of us. And now the same God is saying, who will go for us? Like Isaiah, we ought to respond to the call and do what we can do, what God requires for us to do. But there is a point where there's some things that need to be done that only God can do. So here's the question, beloved. Was God speaking to Isaiah? God heard a conversation in heaven. I got good news for you that that same Lucifer, that same serpent, the devil who was cast out of heaven didn't want us to be in heaven. But I'm glad the Bible says we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We're seated in heavenly places because of the blood. Lucifer can never get back, but the blood gave us access. We have access to heavenly places because of the blood. But this conversation is happening in heaven, and he can hear it. I pray that you'll be able to hear the sounds, the conversations that are going on in the courts of heaven. And Isaiah responded in a way that we all ought to respond, but he wasn't talking to Isaiah. When he said, who shall go for us and who shall I send? Jesus stood up and said, Father, prepare me a body. 
I'll go down and redeem them. I'm ready to shed my blood. I'm ready for my body to be broken for them. Who shall go for us and who shall I send? John the Beloved said it this way. They opened the scrolls in heaven in the fifth chapter of Revelations, and they looked in heaven. They looked on the earth, and they looked under the earth, and nobody was worthy. Isaiah wasn't worthy, Moses wasn't worthy, David wasn't worthy, I'm not worthy, you're not worthy. Nobody was worthy, but he said, don't weep. The Lamb of God is able to open the book and to loose the seals. And singing broke out in heaven. You ought to start singing in your house right where you are because when the question was asked, who shall go for us and who shall I send? Jesus said, prepare me a body. That's written in the book of Hebrews. Prepare me a body. I'll go down in the volume of the book. It's written for me. Nobody else could even open the book, but Jesus had already read what was in the book. He's the writer of the book. He said, in the volume of the book, it's written for me. And so Isaiah did his part, just like we do our part. But there's a part that only Jesus can do, the blood, the blood. Somebody say the blood of Jesus. The blood is working. The blood is still working. And now Isaiah has this vision, and he hears the voice of God. His lips now are clean, and he says in, in the sixth, in the ninth chapter of Isaiah, in the sixth verse, unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is born, and the government shall rest on his shoulder. See, now Isaiah knows I, he sent me, but he sent me to tell you something. He sent me to tell you about the one who's to come. He, he understood like John the Baptist, I'm not him, but he's coming after me. He said, and the government shall rest on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Is his name Wonderful? Counselor, Mighty God everlasting father and the prince of peace and of his government there shall be no end. He's a son and a father all in one. Let us, who shall I send and who is going to go for us? Isaiah understood that what I'm hearing in heaven is for me to go tell it on the mountain. And he told it so well, we're talking about it in 2022. Somebody say the blood. Somebody chant the blood. Let's go a little deeper. Paul writes about Moses in Hebrews so that we can look at the origin of the blood sacrifice. We just saw in Genesis 3 and 22 the first blood sacrifice. It was done by God himself. And that's why the last one had to be done by God himself. He's the first and he's the last. He was the first to do it and the last to do it. Uh, somebody, I hope you can understand what the Spirit is saying, that the blood sacrifice that came from God himself, we're all under one blood. You have one blood type, I have another. You might be A, B, A positive, B negative, or O, but the Bible says we are one nation under one blood. He came to reconcile. He came to redeem. He came to restore. Hebrews 9 and 19 through 22 reads, 
For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the new covenant which God has commanded you. Then, likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. They would take some hyssop, which is a branch, a cluster of hyssops, hyssop, and dip it in the basin and sprinkle it. God, sprinkle us with your blood right now. Take the hyssop, dip it in the basin, and sprinkle your people everywhere with your blood. This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Everything, everything was covered in the blood. Everything was covered in the blood. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There are some translations that take it a little further. There is no remission of sin, because that's what he's talking about, sin. So the second thing that the blood does is it washes away our sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But I want you to see that Moses took this blood and put it on the word. Now you would think, why would you stain the word with the blood? They were purifying it, purifying everything, the tabernacle, the utensils, everything. But I want you to notice that Moses took the blood of calves and of goats. The old things that passed away teach us something, that blood is required for purification and the remission of, of sins. But Moses took the blood of another. Jesus gave his own blood because the blood of Moses would not be sufficient. So God instructed him to take the blood of another. But Jesus came and said, this is my body that's broken for you. This blood I'm shedding for you. And the verse says, Without the shedding of blood, you remember that anatomical diagram and blood. There's blood, 60,000 miles of blood is coursing through my veins right now as I'm speaking to you. And as you're listening, blood is running, is running. But you can't see that blood. And that blood is not released unless it's shed. That's why the Bible says the shedding of blood. And that's why Jesus' body had to be broken. Now, you can't see the blood, but there's one who sees it. In the days that Moses 
was leading the people out of Israel, out of Egypt, leading them out of Egypt, there was a sound that was released. And this is the third thing. The blood releases a sound. In the, all of Egypt, the sounds were heard. For those who were Egyptian, and Egypt represents the world, who did not obey the voice of the God of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, they had a sound of lament, weeping and gnashing of teeth. They were wailing because their firstborns were no more. You could hear the wailing all throughout Egypt. There was crying in the streets. It was utter darkness, thick darkness. But God said to his people, I want you to go in tonight. I want you to get a calf, one year old, a lamb that's one year old without blemish, with no disease, and I want you to take that calf and I want you to, or that lamb, and I want you to prepare it for your house. You need to consume all of it. All of it. If it's too much for you, bring your neighbors. But you need to go in and shut the door and not come out. He said, I don't want you to be in the darkness. There's darkness in the world. I want you to be in the house, in the light. Somebody say, walk in the light. I want you to be in the light. And that blood... I want you to take from that blood and I want you to put it on your doorpost. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over. God, when God sees the blood, he passes over. The, day, the death angel was walking up and down in Egypt and going to every house where there was no blood. In the beginning of the pandemic, I went out to the narthex and I put prophetically blood on there. One night at Bible study, I asked all of you to open the door of your house and put blood prophetically over the doorpost as a spiritual act of obedience. Some of you did it and some of you didn't. It's not too late. Where he sees the blood, where he sees the blood, he'll pass over. So there was a sound released in Egypt. Mothers crying, fathers crying, sisters crying, brothers crying in the world, but in the houses of the people of God who obeyed him and who had done what he said to do by the blood. You could tell the Israelites from the Egyptians, if you were keeping watch that night, you just walked, I don't see no blood here, but I see some blood over here. And out of the sound that came out of there was rejoicing because they rejoiced at the fact that God did just what he said he was going to do. All my children are here with me. Everybody is here that night when the sound of terror was coming from the Egyptians. There was a sound of joy that was released from the people of God. The blood releases a sound. What kind of sound is coming out of your house? You ought to lift up a sound so that somebody in your house will know that God does just what he says he's going to do. We can't see the blood, but God sees the blood. And he said, where I see the blood, I'll pass over. Somebody say pass over. Pass over. Here's the last point I want to make. We are living in a time where the authority of the blood, the power 
of the blood needs to be released. Heaven, heaven is commanding it. Moses, when, when Paul, the writer of Hebrews, there's some scholarly debate about it. It's just my personal opinion. I think it's Paul. So I say Paul, um, in writing it, speaks what God spoke to Moses. He said, this is the blood which I have commanded you. There's a commandment to release the blood, for the blood to be on the altar, that blood which is atoning for the soul. It's a commandment. I commanded you. Somebody ought to learn how to command, walk in the commandment of the blood, the commandment of the blood, the commandment of the blood, the power of the blood, the life-giving power of the blood, the redeeming power of the blood. And so God is so serious about this that he is going to raise up people who don't even know him and who are going to speak prophetically about things they don't understand. But when the people of God hear it, it's going to provoke us to jealousy. And then we're going to start to do what heaven requires us to do. You can write this in a book. Matthew 27, verse 24 through 26, says this. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult, a tumult was rising. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Next verse. And all the people answered and said. Now, I want you to hear this. These are people who shouted, give us Barabbas. These are people who wanted a known murderer to be free. And for Jesus, a just man who Pilate just testified to, to be taken. These are not what you would call godly people. They wanted him condemned, but they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't understand. But listen what they said. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. His blood. These are people in a crowd who are bloodthirsty. These are people in a crowd who would want to release a known murderer who might murder them or somebody in their family, but they had such disdain for, for God that they said, let him go and crucify him, condemn. Let it be on us. His blood be on us and our children. They didn't know what they're saying, but what they said was prophetic. And I want to say to you in your house, this man's blood 
the blood of Jesus be upon you and upon your children. This man's blood be upon every generation that shall come from your loins and from your womb. This man's blood cover your city, your house. This man's blood cover every generation. God has a way of raising up people that don't even know what they're saying to say something and release it so that the will of God can be done. Somebody ought to open their mouth and say, this man's blood be upon us and on our children. And I would add the word forever because the blood covers, the blood washes away our sins and the blood releases a sound. May a sound go out. May a sound go out in the city of Philadelphia and in the surrounding regions that will cause people to want to run after God. May a sound go out so that the people who don't know him would begin to speak prophetically. This man's blood be on us and on our children forever. And if Barabbas is released in our city, let this man's blood be upon him. May all of them, may everybody know the power of his blood, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that covers, the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb that caused the Israelites to rejoice when their enemies were wailing and gnashing their teeth. The blood of Jesus that redeems us from the hand of the enemy, the blood of Jesus that restores us to the likeness of God. Jesus came to show us how we could be like God, how he could restore us to the likeness of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be like him. Is there anybody who wants to be more like him? The likeness that was robbed, the likeness that was taken away. Even as an image bearer, you have to be like him because his image and its likeness. You, you don't want one without the other. 99 and a half won't do. I'm running trying to make 100 because 99 and a half just won't do. Image and likeness. Is there anybody who wants to be like him? The blood. The blood makes us like him. The blood washes. The blood cleanses. The blood restores. The blood reconciles. The blood brings us back to that place that Adam and Eve forfeited. And now we have a song that the angels can't sing. We've been redeemed. And so I want you to be encouraged. There's no trick, no plot, no plan, no scheme that the enemy can devise where God is not many steps ahead. After he pronounced judgment on them, he, start, he covered them. May God cover you. May God cover everything that pertains to you. God is a God who covers, and the, and the devil wants you to see your shame. You will never be uncovered again. You will know, you will walk with the knowledge that you're covered, that the God who made everything covers you. The God who spoke nothing into existence is able to cover you, cover you, and let this man's blood cover you and your children forever. I want to prophesy to somebody who's feeling like they don't measure up. You're ashamed because you know yourself well. 
I want you to know that God knows you better. And everything that God created when he was finished from day one to day six, he looked at it and said, this is good. When he got to us, six, and that's why I gave six things, six is the number of mankind. It's very good. But because evil has been introduced into the world and we live in a fallen world, we, like our original parents, fall for things that look good, that sound good, that taste good. And God said to them, when he gave Adam the commandment, he said, you can have every tree in here. They had access to the tree of life, but they didn't choose life. Too often, when left to our own devices, we don't discern a right. They didn't choose life. And God said, get them out of here before they choose that, because if they choose life and live forever, then evil will dwell with them forever. Because now they let it in. They've opened the door. So I got to keep them out so I can bring them back in the right way. Everybody who comes in through another door other than Jesus Christ is a thief and a robber. See, that's the door. He's the door. He didn't close off Eden because he didn't want them to have the best. He wants us to have the best the right way. And so those things that look good, that sound good, he said, I don't want you to eat it and I don't want you to touch it. Don't touch it, don't taste it. And some of the things that you've tasted, you want more of it. It tastes good. It's not good for you. Beloved, lay it aside. It's time to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us because we got to run this race with patience. God wants to do something with you in this generation. And he can use you. I, I drew confidence from God talking to me about Isaiah great prophet with the most messianic prophecies than anyone except David. David was the only one who had more because there's something about worship and the prophetic that go together. We can talk about that another time, but Isaiah, who confessed that he was a man of unclean lips and then he dwelt among a people of unclean lips. You need to make a confession to God not to a priest, not to me, not, but to God. While you're alone in your home or in your car or wherever, wherever you are, talk to God now. He knows it, and he'll take away the shame. The shame was never of God. It was of the enemy of our soul who came to introduce something that God never intended for us. But now he's created a way a way of redemption, a way of reconciliation, a way of restoration. And he wants it just for you. But you need to begin like the prophet Isaiah and confess whatever you are, wherever you are, and God's ready to cover you. He rebuked Adam and Eve. He judged the serpent, but he covered Adam and Eve. And the only one who's still uncovered is the son of the morning, Lucifer. The devil is uncovered. 
God wants us to see him for what he is, a deceiver, a liar, the father of lies. Stop believing lies and obey the truth because that's where life is. Jesus has made atonement for your soul, for your very being, all of you. Will you be made whole today? Do you want to be made whole? Father, I pray that you would minister to them. See their tears. Hear the cries of their voice. Speak to them. Continue to minister this word. Things that weren't said, help them to understand it. Things that you want them to know because you speak to each of us in our own language. God, do it. Do it for them. God, I know that you're raising somebody up who hasn't known you to do something that is going to be world-changing. I thank you, Lord, that you're preparing your church for impact. It's time out for the world impacting the church. This is the season where the church impacts the world. God, help us to take our rightful place. Deliver us from a time where politics impacts your church. Let your church impact politicians. God, there are too many people who, who sincerely love you, but they're confused. They're confused. They've been offered something that is different than the conversation that's in heaven. Open our ears that we might hear what's going on in the courts of heaven so that heaven and earth, so that your will can be done on earth just as it is in heaven. God, we can't make that so unless we can hear what you're saying in heaven. Let us hear the conversation. Include us in that us conversation. Include us in that us conversation. God, make ready a people. Make ready a people. God, I pray that you would send forth a remnant who would obey you regardless of the cost, who would appreciate the sacrifice that's on the altar and be willing to sacrifice. Oh God, I hear you saying, the blood that was shed on Calvary was with a purpose. It was necessary to redeem us. But there is useless bloodshed, useless and it's causing heaven, lots of noise in the courts of heaven. Hang in there with me just for a moment. Lots of noise because the blood releases a sound. The blood of Abel cried out. There's the blood in the streets of Philadelphia and Chicago and New York and Atlanta that's crying out and heaven can hear it. How can the people of God be at ease? God, hold us to hear. Help us to hear what you hear in heaven. May the blood cry out. The blood that covers us cause us to hear the blood that's crying out, the blood that's being shed needlessly. But that's crying out just like the sound that was heard in Egypt. The blood impacted the world one way, but it impacted your church another. Israel is a type of the church, a called out people. God, I pray there would be rejoicing in your ecclesia.
because we hear not just what the Spirit is saying to the church, but what heaven is saying. I call your ears unstopped and opened. You're going to hear things and you're going to see things that will bring you nearer to God, that will help you understand that you're undone. Isaiah came to the knowledge, I'm undone because of the presence of God. This religious arrogance has got to go. Thinking that we have it all together. There's only one. There's only one. The reason Moses didn't give his own blood because his blood would, was tainted. It was defiled. His blood was defiled with murder and rebellion and disobedience. He was faithful, but his blood was defiled. Jesus' blood is pure. There's nothing in his blood that's defiled. His blood causes remission. There's some cancer survivors that are hearing me and seeing me right now. You know what it was like, the difference when you were given your diagnosis. And then when you went back and the doctor said to you, your cancer is in remission. The, the joy, the leaping in your spirit. I want you to know if you are outside of the ark of safety, and what I mean by that is if you don't know Jesus and you have not received him, there's something still eating away at you, but you can be in remission today because the shedding, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And if that's you, I want you to text decision right now. That's all you need to do is text decision. Father, for everyone who's making a decision to follow you, those who are deciding to come back, who've been prodigal, who are coming back home to you, those of you who are coming for the first time, let them rejoice to know that they're now in remission, the remission of their sins, that you've covered them. Let there be rejoicing. Save them to the utmost with your blood that never loses its power. May the God of peace sanctify you wholly. May he be with you. May he surround you. May this man's blood be upon your house and be upon your children to all generations. Go in power, go in peace, and keep the faith. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.